Hi, thanks for listening to my podcast. Let me introduce you with Jane Milton. I've been working with food businesses for 35 years and now I'm taking you behind the scenes in my business to connect with some of the great specialists, entrepreneurs and producers that we work with to hear how we create strategies that inspire business and how we help them create the perfect teams for specific projects and for their business as it grows so that they can get great results faster and much more cost effectively with our support than they would on their own. I truly believe the food industry in the UK has some of the best people in it and I'm lucky enough to know and work with the very best of those. Let me introduce you to Simon Wright, who describes himself as a failed pop star, but in fact is a well-established expert in helping people make more sustainable food. Simon chats about working with the pioneering Craig Sams from Whole Earth and Green and Black's fame and his unorthodox job interview with him. We discussed the rapid rise in plant-based foods and how he would like to see the sector develop. I guarantee you will never guess what he would like to take on a, to a desert island with him. The pop music world's loss is definitely the food industry's gain in this case, as we get a well-connected, very engaged food technologist who has contributed to some wonderful products on shelves. Can you tell me how you describe your job to other people? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I help companies make more sustainable food and drink. Brilliant. I say Simon eats chocolate all day. <laughs> <laughs> it's all part of the same yes, thing. I know, but it's brilliant. It's a it's a good it's a good sideline to have. And, and my it accountant is. always used to say that people would always be more interested in what people like us did than when he said I'm an accountant. It was just like, okay, off we yeah. go. So. It is definitely a good thing. How do you think your family describe what you do? Do you think they know what you spend your days doing? Oh, them got a no. clue. They're completely, they're completely mystified that I get yes. paid for this. Welcome to the food industry, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think that happens to most of us, doesn't it? So before COVID, I know you would have been travelling a reasonable amount, both in the country and out of the country, meeting suppliers and, and going to some very far-flung places as well as some European and, and around and about. How has that changed in the last couple of years? Well, basically it stopped. So like most people, I have faced the challenge of how I can carry on with my business without being able to see people face to face. And I've been pleasantly surprised by the amount of my work I've been able to migrate to online. So one of the things I was doing pre-COVID was I was uh, running training courses for supermarkets all about chocolate, sort of uh, tutored tasting sessions. And I've migrated those to online and it's worked surprisingly well. And it makes well. it easier we to set... get time together with people and stuff. It's... It, it's, a, it's actually easier to set up a session online than it is to get eight people from the same supermarket into a room on yep. the same day. So what we do is we send out little boxes with the tasting samples in, which arrive a couple of days before, and there are strict instructions on them that they have to be kept cool, but not frozen. Yes. They have to be kept away from strong flavours, and they have to be kept away from dogs, children and partners. <laughs> And that they also can't eat them all themselves before the session starts. No, <laughs> and providing that providing that happens, we can run a tutor tasting session. That's sessions. brilliant, though, isn't it? It's really good. And I think I think buyers have noticed it's a lot easier. 
because they can fit in more things. They can yeah. see people. I know another buyer yeah. said to me too that they liked doing that instead of having to go to trade shows and things because yeah. he said that nobody else knew who they'd had conversations with then. It was yeah. much more no, discreet for them. And I mean, yeah. I know too, when you used to go to the supermarket waiting rooms, you would be going, oh, oh. they're in. Oh, what are they seeing a buyer so, for? <laughs> Super, supermarket waiting rooms yes. used to resemble torture yeah. chambers. And and that whole element has now been taken out of the process. What I think we've lost is we've lost some of the creativity that comes from sitting down with somebody and talking around a subject. So for me, online is quite transactional. Yes. You know, there is a task to be done and you do it. There isn't the chatting around the margins that you get face to face. And that's sometimes where the good ideas yeah. come from. So I, I think that is the thing we've we've lost. And I'm sort of as people begin to reintroduce face to face meetings and we all sort of get to grips with this hybrid existence. Yeah. I'm I'm interested in how it's possible to take the best from both. And I think, too, people have got a lot better at Zoom teams, those yeah. things. And so now it can be a bit more like you can just have a conversation, particularly yeah. with people you've yeah. met before and yeah. that you know. Yeah. But I still think for some of the initial getting to know people meetings, it's easier if you can. Yeah. Although I've done some cocktail sessions like your chocolate sessions <laughs> and yeah. they're very yeah. good, especially at 11 yes. o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yes. And um, the Free From Food yes. Awards have done very well at establishing little tables that you sit at before the main awards online, and that's that's been that's been that's been cleverly yeah. done. No, I, th I think things like that that we've all learned. To I do. have. Uh, I, I know somebody called Frederick Fokelberg who set up a consultancy years ago to encourage companies to start working more online. So, of course, you know, he's had a very good pandemic yes. because he was already set yep. up to work in this world. And his, um, his blog is fascinating because he sort of ruminates on, on the positives and the negatives. And um, I was talking to a friend of mine who has a design agency and he says that he feels their creative output is not as strong as it was 18 months mm -hmm. ago. And he says there's something about, you know, sitting around a table, bouncing ideas off that is very difficult to replicate online. The other limitation I think of online is it's very good for working with existing clients. New business development online, I think, is very yeah. difficult. Well, we shall see. We shall see what emerges. But certainly I will be happy if the traveling to Australia for a two hour presentation to somebody has mm. been stopped or, you know, all those yeah. kind of lengthy journeys and things yeah. I think will be a lot more. Yeah. And people were nervous about you not coming to see them and about agreeing to speak to you on, on a call or something. And I think a lot of that has gone, which is yes, more agree. effective for us all. To come back to you, when did you first know what you wanted to do? Did you set out deliberately to come into the food industry? Did you happen on it? What happened? Definitely happen. I, I was a failed pop star and uh, I desperately needed a job. And my next door neighbour worked in the food industry. And he said, well, you know, people are always going to have to eat. 
And I thought, well, I like eating. Um, let's see if I can get a job in food. It was as sophisticated That's as that. Brilliant. So thank goodness for that next door neighbour, eh? Yep. So you say growing up, you were a pop star or wanting to be a pop star? A failed pop a star. A failed please. pop star. Well, you had to be a pop star to be a failed one. That's a step forward from the rest of us. <laughs> um, and. And, and and I mean, I know now that you still have a very keen interest in music, that you DJ and, and, and do things like yeah. that as well. But so tell me, you got a job in food and then or because I, I know you've also you know got some qualifications in food. So how did that yeah. journey work? So uh, when my band got offered a recording contract, I was at, I was at college studying food technology and I discovered you can't revise for exams in the back of a Ford Transit. Strangely. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> Everybody's parents, so, probably. <laughs> I, um, my, my next door neighbour worked at what was then the Food Research Association in Leatherhead. Right. And he got me an interview with the head of the confectionery department, a guy called Adrian Dodson. And um, Adrian interviewed me for a job as a research assistant there. And he later told me that I was, I, was, I was the least qualified person he saw, but I was re- wearing red shoes. And he thought anyone who wore red shoes to a job interview probably, probably deserved a trial. So brilliant. I owe him a debt of gratitude because he took me on when he had no reason to. Brilliant? And I then spent, I spent the next 18 months working with him on developing a better mint imperial. Fantastic. Which we did by dismantling a washing machine and installing a camera so we could follow the mint imperials as they went round and round and round in the washing machine. And we did, uh, this is getting slightly arcane, but we discovered that um, there was a dead spot in the mass of the, of the rotating mint imperials. And if we switched the internal drum in the washing machine from circular to elliptical, we could move the dead spot around and the mint imperials would get coated more evenly and they would process quicker. So that was my introduction Gee, to the food is. industry, making a better mint imperial. Who knew mint imperials needed to be better? <laughs> they're, very la- they're very lengthy. It takes forever to make a mint imperial because you've got literally dozens layers. of layers of sugar syrup sprayed on, dried, spray on, dried, spray and on. And done so in a, a kind of tumbling process. process, obviously, yeah. It's batch yeah. as well. So, yeah, no, it, it was a pr- it's a process that does need some work on it. So that's, that's why we were An looking at it. underrated food product. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, so I was uh, working with um, confectionery from a very early age, which would definitely have implications yeah, later on. Yeah, absolutely. And as a family, were you a foodie family? Did your family have interest in food or not at all? Ah, oh, no. Now, we weren't a foodie family. My mother was a phenomenally good right. cook in a in a very sort of meat and two vegetables way what she was really good at was baking yes. she made phenomenal cakes and you know every meal would be hot yes. and it would have protein and vegetables and a pudding yes. so we're talking very very sort of traditional food apart from sunday sunday tea which was always limp lettuce tomatoes didn't taste of anything and slightly flabby ham oh lovely <laughs> yeah sun, sun, so, sun, so that's Sunday afternoon tea every other yep. meal of the week and a proper roast yes. on Sunday which we then ate for the next three yep. days so that school of very competent very traditional cooking so that's what I grew yeah. up with our idea our idea of exotic was a Vespa curry 
That's a... And, and until I was about 20, I thought curry had to have sultanas I know, in it. I know. My mum used to do a, a boiled egg in a curry sauce. Do you know that? Oh, lovely. Yeah, lovely. We used to, we used to get that. I know, and that always had sultanas in it as well. And I think yeah. our friend Jeffrey Hyman was responsible yeah. for those Vesta curries. He so, was. Yeah. <laughs> he, was. He, fed, he fed the nation for a long time, bless him. But um, yeah, that's funny, isn't it? It's interesting too, you you say always a hot pudding and things. I never was that fond of pastry as a child. And I and the proof of that was that I didn't even like it if it was in a pudding. And and then later developed a wheat intolerance, which I think possibly was there in the beginning. But mm, possibly an early memory for me is being made to sit at the table until you'd finished your oh, pudding. Pudding. Yes, and I, I say to mum now, no wonder I'm always struggling with yeah. how much I eat because, you know, yes, I was being given pudding, whether I needed oh. it or not, really. No, it's it's a, it's a terrible thing to do to to, to yep. force children to sit there. It it didn't happen mm. to me so much, but to my I know my wife became a vegetarian very early on in her life, and she never liked meat. And she she talks of having to sit there with a sort of plate of oh, cold liver in front oh. of her, getting colder and colder and less and less pleasant, yep. and being forced to eat it. That is not the way to approach no, eating. It's not. And um, yeah, in in my case, it was only dessert, fortunately, but but still, but um, still not not straightforward. No. What first impressions do you hope you give people when you meet them? Well, that's a good question. Um, that I want to hear their story. So, although I run a consultancy which charges for its services. I will always offer someone an hour-long slot for free, particularly if they're starting yep. up, because I've done, like you, I've done a lot of work with startups over the years. And there's some really good creative people out there, particularly now, yep. because a lot of the barriers to entering the food industry have been dismantled. So there's some very good creative people out there coming into the food industry for the first time from a non-food industry background, and they just need a bit of hand-holding. So I'm always very happy to have a uh, an initial discussion with someone about their ideas and what they're trying to do and where some of the challenges might be. And, um, you know, I'm happy to do that without charging. If it goes beyond that, then I need to start charging. But I always try and have that initial session just really so people can bounce ideas off me. Because one of the advantages of being in the food industry for a long time is I've worked in a lot of different areas mm -hmm. and also I've worked with a lot of different people. So I think the next best thing to knowing the answer to a question is knowing somebody who knows the answer to a question. So I can usually put people in touch with with someone who can who can help them out yeah. if I if, if you I can't, can't help, help them myself. Yourself. Yeah. But what I ha what I have discovered is that it's not helpful for me to get involved in a project too early. Really? Because the last thing you want when you're a startup is an expensive consultant sitting around twiddling his thumbs whilst you get some stuff sorted out. So I do discourage people from engaging me professionally too early. I, li I like to wait until they've sort of sorted out quite yeah. a few things and then I can come in and help but them. You can them give that. them a list and help them Absolutely. decide the Absolutely. order in which they should do those things. And then Absolutely. they go and do and I think, yeah. Yeah. Very simple, and it's re it's re it's really satisfying to seeing something on shelf, yes. and you know you know the year before the person behind that has come 
come to you for a chat or you've done some work together. That's right. No, it is. It's very good. What were some of the first products that you were responsible for putting on shelf? Ah, well, after um, discovering that rock and roll didn't want me, I, um, I managed to get my degree. It took 10 years and interspersed by periods of working. And then um, uh, I was just finishing my, uh, my course at uh, what was then Oxford Polytechnic. And uh, I was sitting in the library, read the Telegraph of all things, and there was. How did um, that happen? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Well, it's only it's only because it was in the library and it was free. There was a job advert from a Whole Foods company called Whole Earth Foods in Park Royal. They said they wanted a nutritionist to come and work with them. And I'd got I'd got by this stage I'd read E's for additives, and I'd got very interested by what food technologists like me were putting into food products and i also thought well if you're worried about what you're adding to food what about how it grows what about what goes into the food whilst it's in the ground and i'd read about this stuff that was happening in california about organic food and i thought this is really interesting so when i went to see whole earth foods i discovered they were the only country in the uk only company in the uk that was actually processing organic food at that it's amazing isn't it so Craig Sams, the MD, took me on a day trip to the factory in Warrington. And on the way back, he said, what do you think? And I said, well, you you don't need a nutritionist because you know enough about nutrition. That's not a problem. But God, you need a food technologist desperately before you kill someone. (laughs) And on on that basis, he took me on. Oh, bless him. That was brilliant. So we were uh, very early to a lot of things. I mean, Craig had actually built the company on jam made with fruit juice rather than sugar. Which you can't call jam. You can't call jam. And a lot of my career at Whole Earth Foods was spent talking to uh, various people at the Royal Borough of Kensington, Chelsea, and and trying to avoid being prosecuted. But we we did get prosecuted on a fairly regular basis, and it was brilliant publicity. So, yeah, we got early to the sugar thing. And also, we were the first people to really think about making a better peanut butter. Because in those days, it was um, uh, just yeah, some pat. Very, very sugary. Very sugary. E471, not a great taste. And we did a. a what is E471 for people that don't know? Oh. <laughs> Mono and mono and diglycerides are fatty Yum. acids. God, <laughs> that well-known food never, ingredient. Yeah, <laughs> never, never go shopping with a food technologist. They spend all their time looking at bloody Len, labels. who you and I both know, who used to run the yeah. kitchens at QFA. She used to say to yeah. me, "I will go food shopping with you, but if I put anything in my basket, I don't want you to comment on it." Because <laughs> I would be going. Hmm. Yeah. Have you thought about that? Are you yeah, sure absolutely. about that? You can't help it. I want to intervene at the till point very often. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I can I can do better oh, no. than that. <laughs> Whilst I was at Whole Earth Foods, we had a lovely sales director called James Edwards. And we were supplying Safeway. And we were in a Safeway one day. And uh, we were at the peanut butter fixture. And this woman comes up, takes a jar of Whole Earth peanut butter off the shelf, puts it in a basket, thinks about it, puts it back and takes a jar of sun pat. And James goes, what did you do that for? <laughs> and she got into a stand-up row with this poor woman. Oh, no. 
<laughs> and this yeah. is the, this is the challenge. It's wonderful when you see your products on shelf, but certainly at Whole Earth, I was guilty of over identifying with the products. So if a buyer refuses a listing. I took it personally, and uh, I was also responsible for uh, replying to customer complaints. I hold a very small company, and it was the days when everything came by post, and we got some Lulus. I mean, um, you know, we we did get letters written in green ink in yes. capitals, and my my all time favourite was a woman who wrote in and said her first sentence in her letter was, "Why are you trying to kill my baby?" Oh. What had happened was in the factory where we ran smooth peanut butter and crunchy peanut butter down the same line. So we'd have a bleed period when we switched between the two. And during that time, all the crunchy bits would be flushed mm. out. Now, clearly on this particular day, the bleed hadn't worked very well. And we'd done a jar of smooth with a few bits of crunchy peanut in. And this woman has deci- had decided that this was a deliberate attempt to choke to her, baby. her baby to choke to death. <clears throat> We also used to, get, you've had this experience, you know, we used to get letters of complaint from Mickey yes. Mouse. Uh, my, one of my I've jobs. I had to go to court was, before over a customer oh, complaint yeah. letter, which yeah. is just, oh. One of, one of the things that I had to do was um, if we got a complaint about glass mm. in a product, and unfortunately, because we were using glass yeah. jars, we did. My job was to go around and try and get the glass back. And uh, I remember doing this one day at a house in Harrow and um, the piece of glass that the customer gave me was bigger than the jar it was meant to have been found in. I similarly, at Greg's, just as I began my working with them, the bakery in Glasgow had been shut for a two-week period while an investigation was done because front page of the daily record or something was the fact that somebody had found a mouse in their pie and we had to do a huge investigation they had to you know pest control council everybody especially because it was a big business and then when they did analysis they discovered pie was cooked but mouse wasn't and so clearly mouse had been added after but you know then you get Uh, a little retraction on page 15 i know know. three months later it is but but it is is amazing but i i used to open those letters and i'd be sitting with something in my hand and then it would say i swallowed this but got it back (laughs) and i'd be like oh thanks a lot so i learned to open with gloves on yeah Absolutely. What I would say, though, is we also got letters from customers saying, I don't normally complain about food products, but I thought you should know in case it affects anybody else. And then, you know, it sent us back something ghastly they'd found in a jar of peanut butter. So um, we always made sure we sent out loads of replacement Mm. products to people because we really wanted to get them back on our side. And I I read some Canadian research that says that if somebody's unhappy with a product they've purchased, they tell three people. And if they are happy with the way the company dealt with their complaint, they tell seven. seven. I think that's true. So it's a form of of advertising, really. We had a problem once when I worked at Discovery Foods that when the weather changed, went warmer, the vacuum got tighter on the packets of tortillas. It was the first year we'd made yeah. the flour tortillas yeah. and they all stuck together. And we got customer letters saying, what have I done wrong that this has happened? Oh, yes. And yes. and so we did big, sorry, it wasn't you. We're just learning. Yeah. These are normally made in Mexico. They don't have this problem. Yeah. This is what we've done. And we got some really loyal customers out of that. 
who were yeah. delighted yeah. with how we'd handled it. So yeah, I do think that's the case. Yeah. Um, that's funny, isn't it? These things you forget the day to day of your life. I know. Um, so I, the, mon- the next thing I want to talk to you about is who has influenced you. Now, the rules are if they've yeah. influenced you positively, you can name them. If you've yes. learned something that you decided yeah. you never wanted to make anyone feel like that or do that, then it's probably yeah. best not to name that person, but just to talk about the incident or the thing that you learned yeah. wasn't effective. So yeah. with, th- with that caveat, who okay. have you, who have your role models been or who have you learned from? Right. So Craig Sams, managing director of Whole Earth Foods, was a very major influence yeah. on me. He had a vision of the sort of food people should eat. Yeah. And he's, he's, a, he's, he's sort of ex-macrobiotic, mm-hmm. whole foods, organic, sustainable. So, you know, he was onto these ideas a lot earlier than most mm-hmm. other people. So that undoubtedly... He and really was a pioneer, wasn't he? He was. Yeah. No, he absolutely, he absolutely was. And I mean, Craig pioneered a lot of things, n- not all of which worked commercially, no. but <clears throat> thankfully Green and Black's Chocolate did. Mm-hmm. And that meant he did actually get a payday at the end of all this, which was, uh, which was very um, amply uh, justified. Yeah. So, so in a positive sense, definitely Craig. In a negative sense, my father who once said to me, your problem is you never finish anything you start. Mm. And I, I don't know if that was true then. I wasn't very old, but I've made damn sure it's not been true subsequent. So it was a very so positive, it had a very positive effect on you in a way that it he a, said that. It mm. absolutely did. And it has left me very, very focused on Completing. doing what I say I'm going to do. So I tend to under promise and over deliver and I meet deadlines and if I can I will go further than my clients expect which is a great way to be yeah I think so I think so it it has implications it means there's a limit to how much work I take on so it sort of it it limits my income because I've never I've never employed anyone I've never managed anybody and I've never employed anyone so you know I am truly a one-man band but and, and so but that then means you collaborate with other people and let them do, do their bits. I do. And- yeah. So I work with people informally. Mm-hmm. I sort of, we, we come together as a team to do a job and then, yep. you know, go on and do something else. But some of these people I've been working with for 25 years. So I have, lo- I have longer associations with them than a lot of people do work yes. in permanent teams. Yeah. And I think that's good too, because, I mean, I know we work, in that aspect, I work very similarly to you. And I think it's great because it means you assemble the team that is right for the customer rather than trying to shoehorn people into a job because you employ them. I, at one point I had a team and often when we got a brief, I would know somebody better than people in the team. And then you would, you know, And so I very quickly changed my model to being that we would work with people and that I see myself as somebody who connects them all together. But 
And again, you want people that take your job as seriously as you do because you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. So no, that's. That's interesting to hear that from you. We found too on the podcast that a lot of people's influences are from very early in their career. Sometimes even things that they learned from people they did Saturday jobs with and things. It's made sure. me realise how important sure. um, work placements are. And, you know, just because Absolutely. at that point too, people are looking and observing more possibly yeah. than once you develop your own style, you do it your way. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Where were your Saturday jobs? Oh God, they were ghastly. <laughs> I um, my first Saturday job, no, my first holiday job was packing salt and pepper pots. That was yep. dull. And then working sat the Saturday night shift at a local petrol station in the days where you know you actually had someone to put the petrol in the tank yep. for you, and. I used to I used to regularly forget to put the petrol caps back, so people drive off with them on the roof. <laughs> uh, but what was what was really bad about it was if we were under at the end of a shift, the manager would take it out of our wages, which I'm sure was completely illegal. illegal. But I was only fifteen, so I'd, I, you know, I didn't really didn't really know any better. No. Then I graduated to working in department stores, and I sold camping equipment which i was surprisingly good at it was the old bentles in kingston and they didn't let us handle money so you you, the customer would give the money you'd put it in a little tube that would be conveyed by compressed air to somewhere else in the building and then at some indeterminate point in the uh, during the rest of the day the change would come back again via the same tube by which time you've been making forced conversation with the customer for oh, 10 minutes no. but what i discovered was a lot of this camping equipment was quite heavy if you offered to carry it to the car not only did it give you a break from work but you got a tip <laughs> so i did quite well out of that <laughs> that was good so that's funny isn't it that you you learn i'd forgotten about those things in shops where we used to go to buy our school uniform they would put a requisition in and it would go down and something else would come up pre it's all because they or mobile phone you know now in in stores staff have very often get headsets on and then there's somebody in the stock room sending stuff but it was pre that but it's because they they didn't trust us to handle money that was the problem i know it's bizarre isn't it I wanted to talk to you a little bit. You you hit on Craig, Sam's and the kind yeah. of things that he did. But you also have very often worked with and been yourself. You've been vegetarian for a long time. I know your mm. partner is plant-based or mm. vegan. Yeah. But that has grown hugely, that side of the market in the last 10 years and certainly in the last three years, the amount of products, mm. who's into it, you know, who, what they're doing. What, what do you think about how it has grown? I have very mixed feelings about the growth of plant-based. So uh, it's a good time. I'm glad you asked me about this. I'm actually working on something in this area at the moment. I'm working on a seminar on mm. this at the moment. When I went vegetarian in my early 20s, it was because my then partner, now wife, Wendy, was completely vegetarian and had been since the age of 12, I think, which means she had a cheese salad every day of her life at school because that was that's all what the knew. vegetarian yep. option was. Yeah, Or cheese um, and chips, so I, as it often was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she Good was lucky that meal. she got the salad. <laughs> Absolutely. So 
that's you know that in those days that's that's you know pretty much what there was so i was doing the cooking i wasn't going to cook a vegetarian meal for her and a meat meal for me so i just stopped i just stopped cooking meat. plus we were both starving students and when you haven't got much money you can buy okay vegetables or ghastly meat so it was no great wrench to give it up so originally it was sort of poverty and convenience that pushed me down that road and then I started reading about it and I, I sort of started understanding about how land use varies between crops and animals and why in sustainability terms <clears throat> um, having a plant oriented diet is so important when the sort of the 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 vegan plant based explosion started i thought well this is good because it means you know there'll be more choice for um people when they get to the supermarket and we can reduce our reliance upon meat and dairy which is good and although i am a vegetarian i'm a big supporter of animals in farming yes. I'm a big organic advocate. Most organic family farms rely upon animals Absolutely. in their rotation. And if we have animals, we've got to do something with them. So I'm very into people eating less but better meat Good and dairy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and well farmed and for, both from the animal it, it, point it, of view and also the end product then. Absolutely. And I'm, I, I'm very, um, I'm very, very upset about the way that all animal production gets lumped in together by the vegan lobby, because, you know, grass fed beef is very different to lot fed beef. It's, it's not fair to compare the two. So initially, I thought, brilliant, more choice. That's great. When you go into the supermarket, lots more options. However, what I've seen is that the the manufacturers of these plant-based products, particularly those that mimic meat, meat and fish products, are mimicking the worst aspects of the food processing industry. They're doing highly processed, ultra-processed. They're using ingredients which in some cases are genetically modified, like the um, heme in Impossible Burger. They're using ingredients that are not being sustainably produced they're using things like wallpaper paste, CMC, to stick their products together. Everything's got pea protein in. Everything's got mushroom protein in. That is almost certainly going to help de develop a new set of Well, and I mean, you're seeing that already, aren't you? With a lot yeah. of people becoming intolerant to legumes and things just because there are so... Because it is everybody's go-to substitute yeah. for... Yeah. Yeah. So to me, this seems like a huge step backwards. I would so much rather we were taking our cues from cuisines that are naturally yes. vegan. You know, Lebanese. Lebanese has fantastic non-meat, yep. non-dairy products. South Indian, Sri Lankan. You know, these are cuisines where they've never had huge amounts of meat in, so they don't need to copy meat. No. And I, I, am, I think that at some point, people will look at the ingredients list of these products they'd be buying, often because they want to move to a healthier lifestyle. And, and realise they're not. <clears throat> why is there carboxymethyl cellulose in my burger? And what is it? Yeah. I, I, I would agree with you. I think, too, that a few years ago, people were just like, oh, it's plant-based. That's great. Box ticked. Now people are thinking, okay, if I'm eating plant-based all the time, then surely it matters that I'm getting my nutrients and things. And then they're looking at what they're eating and it's very often very high fat, as you say, very overprocessed. Yeah. It, it is, 
it is taking the worst of the food industry and yeah. putting it into to those kind of products. So I wrote a blog post called Why Don't Vegans Like Vegetables? <laughs> and tell me where that is then, just while we're talking about it. Uh, it's on, it's on um, OFplus.com. Right. And so why do, it's a very good title. Yeah. Uh, but it's true, you know, and, and as somebody who was cooking at home and making your own stuff, you were never eating stuff like that. No, no. So I, I'm, I hope this is an evolutionary step. I think it probably step. is a curve. Yeah. And I hope we will move to much cleaner eating products. And I would love to move away from this mimicry yeah. of, I mean, even though they're getting very good. I mean, I've had some, I've had some fish analogs yeah. recently, which I thought were so clever. Yes. But I also think, why? I know. If I wanted to eat fish, I'd eat MSC sustainably yes, sourced fish. Absolutely rather than something that's being constructed by a food technologist. Yeah. And I think I think where it comes probably, where that stuff has fitted in, is if you are a parent of a child who suddenly decides to be plant-based, you yeah. look for a direct substitute Absolutely. for whatever no, you're no, going to that. have. So I do I, think I it that. is a cycle, hopefully. Yeah. And, I, and as people I, learn I think, more, they'll look yeah. for... Yes. And I'm quite sure that um, if, you dis- if you're... If your GP says to you, I think you could cut back on the meat, or if your partner says to you, do you know what, I think we should eat less meat, they're an easy first yes. step. But I, I would sooner they were a step on the process of cleaner, yes. better eating, better seasonal eating too, you know, which yeah, also absolutely. one thing that seasonal does for everybody is it gives you variety, which stops yeah. the likelihood of, of it becoming an intolerance for you or oh, an allergy absolutely. for you. Absolutely. That's a, that's a very good point. I mean, we were very early adopters of um, Abel and Cole because uh, Keith Abel lives around the corner from us. Uh, what I noticed with having a f- box of fruit and vegetables delivered every week is you tend to cook from that first. Yes. And if that runs out, you go yes. shopping. So it means that fruit and vegetables is at the centre of your diet. And it's very seasonal. At least, for the, uh, at least for the first three or four yes, days. Yes, that's true. You also have a very interesting quirk in your family that you have the most meat-loving daughter ever. Oh, yes. My, which is my just daughter brilliant. Is, is, Massively carnivorous. Yes. My wife, my wife avoids meat and dairy, but eats fish. I eat, I eat dairy, but don't in, in, eat meat or fish. So our our meal planning <laughs> sessions are a riot. Yeah, I'm sure. The incredible but it does make you a very haven't... creative cook, doesn't it? I it think it does. And it, I was employed it, as a developer on a poultry production site. Purely yeah. because they knew I was vegetarian, which sounds odd, yeah. but they knew no, that I would have a much yeah. broader sense of what we could eat no, and thought out the absolutely. box because I wasn't doing the meat to yeah. veg and potato no. as your. But what what it what is has given me a, a keen appreciation of the fact is how lucky we are to be living yeah. in this country where basically you can get anything yes. you know any cuisine any ingredient it's all and out particularly there. Particularly so in the southeast where we live because of oh, the, God, yes. the variety of, yeah, of people and, and all that the mar- are around us and things yeah and all the food all the food markets so you know when I'm reading Ottolenghi and the Guardian on a Saturday I think bloody hell what is that yes. I can, I can usually get yes. it I normally ask Alexa what is this. <laughs> And then go get it. I know, and I've done that also on menus. You know, you think, 
what is that? Yeah. You know, know, and then, but I also, you know, to go back to what you were saying too about eating from cuisines that are very, the yeah. other thing is peasant food in most cuisines tends not to have meat yeah. in it. So if you look at the simple food that people eat every yeah. day, you know, there are beautiful pasta dishes just with breadcrumbs yeah. in them and garlic and, and those all came from not from meat not being as cheap as it had become in our no. market. No, so I know. I think it's and really that, good. And what what is fascinating is when you analyse what you call peasant yep. food, how nutritionally sound oh, it completely. is. Completely. You know, like putting rice and lentils together gives you a complete yeah. protein. As well as being yeah. delicious. It's 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 funny, isn't it? But they weren't daft. <laughs> no. What have you learned about yourself that you wish you'd known earlier that would have made your life easier if you'd known that this was one of your strengths or something you enjoyed or? What I what I was surprised to find out, what is it is it's possible to get paid for doing stuff you enjoy <laughs> because my my father made no secret of the fact he was a, a career civil servant who did this basically worked for the civil service for his entire career and he made no secret of the fact that he really didn't like his job so i was very pleasantly surprised to discover it is possible to get paid for stuff you, that you really enjoy <clears throat> i get paid for stuff that i probably do for free although i'm not telling any of my Quite clients right. that. no i know but it also makes a huge difference to how engaged you are in the projects because we love our work it, it does it does it, it, it it's not without its risks no. though because i think the downside of that is you can lose perspective and certainly um when i was at whole earth i was working so hard so many hours I, and so identifying with the products that there was a period when i when i, I did lose my perspective mm. and i couldn't be objective and and that is not healthy no. either but yeah i think um i think i think i think knowing you can have fun and get paid for it brilliant that's a good one it's a good place to start isn't it absolutely it is what is the best thing you've eaten recently? Now, that can be an ingredient or it can be a yeah. meal out or in. What's excited you recently? It was um, a birthday lunch bought for me by my brother. I've seen the, pod, I've seen the, the post yeah. about this. You've seen it on my blog, yeah. <laughs> so it was, at the, it was at the Wigmore, which is just, just next to the BBC, Langham Place. And uh, I was alerted to it by Jay Rayner in The Observer. And it was the Wigmore cheese toasty. And it's phenomenal. It is phenomenal. It's about a foot long. It's three cheeses. It is beautifully put mm. together. We had it with chips and Bloody Mary salt. You're making me want one now. <laughs> <laughs> and a pint of pint of Czech Budvar. And uh, it was phenomenal. I mean, I've always loved cheese sandwiches and I love toasted cheese sandwiches. But this cheese sandwich, it was a labour of and love. And it's that attention so, to detail, isn't it? Very good totally. bread, very good cheese, yeah. the right amounts of each of them. Simple yeah. food, it well done. Simple food well done is a, is a brilliant mantra to live yep. by. It's, it's, not, it's not necessary to reinvent the wheel continually. Nope. It, is, it is very necessary to produce phenomenally good versions of classics. And, and the Wigmore absolutely do that. And I, I'd encourage anybody to do, do so. We also got in without a reservation by getting there when they opened the doors and telling the ga- guy on the door it was my birthday. Brilliant. So if we all do that, yes. we'll get in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's the, that is That's the, technique. the technique. Good stuff. It's, it worked at the Woolsey as ah, well. Well done. 
So finally, if you could take three foods or three pieces of food equipment with you to a desert island, what do you think you would take? So food equipment, uh, I take a kitchen devil. Good. I take a stick blender. Mm-hmm. And I take a refractometer. What on earth is a refractometer? A refractometer is a very cunning device where um, you put a tiny little bit of liquid in between two glass lenses, hold it up at the sun, and it'll tell you what the um, soluble solids ah. is in that liquid. We use a refractometer when we're making our cider. Right. So one of the, one uh, of the things I've started doing This is doing what you're recently, planning to do on your desert absolutely. island. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the things I've started doing recently is I work with an organisation called Abundance. And what we do is we pick fruit from fruit trees in people's gardens that would otherwise go to waste. Now, some of it we give away as fruit, but the stuff we've got left over, we make into cider. So I've got into cider making. And what you want to know when you're making a cider is what the level of sugars in the apple juice is and whether you need to supplement it. So my plan is that by having a refractometer, I can make naturally fermented wine or cider. (laughs) But the refractometer will will allow me to work out how much honey I need to Phenomenal. That's brilliant. That's the first, I think, a refractometer going with us. Do you think yesterday's budget will help your um, cider making? I do hope <laughs> yeah. so. I was in, uh, whilst it was happening, I was in the, the French house in Soho mm. having um, having a business meeting with my partner, Nick, mm. who I run a record label with. And the landlady was being interviewed by the BBC at the next Goodness. table on the implications. And so it may well be that the back of my head was on BBC News yesterday. But I, I didn't, didn't watch see it, so it either. No. no. Oh. Um, she, she was being, I mean, she was being sort of reasonably positive. She was saying, well, yes, it's helpful. Yeah. But she pays £100,000 a year in business rates. And that's not helpful. It's not a big pub. No, it's not. It's a lovely pub, pub, but it's not a big one. It's a lovely pub, but it's not a big pub. So, you know, it's a bit of a drop in the ocean compared to that. It is. They they need more help with that, really. I think so. Anyway, thank you very much. I've really enjoyed that. That's been a lovely conversation with you. And we've covered a few varied topics. And we've definitely used some words that have never been in the podcast before. (laughs) Excellent. So, um, oh, well, that's that's definitely mission yes. accomplished. I, I wonder if, if this is what it feels like to do Desert Island. I think Island it discs. probably is. <laughs> probably the closest I'll get. So you, thank, you never, thank you very you much. You don't ever know. But anyway, thank you very much. And I look My forward to pleasure. speaking to you again soon. Okay. Thanks. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Let me introduce you with Jane Milton. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you don't miss an episode. Please leave a comment to let us know what you've enjoyed or connect to us on social media at Jane Milton Food. If you found it interesting, please share the details with other food businesses you know. We always love meeting new food businesses. See you next episode.